Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 206. Today's episode is all about raising curious, well-educated children outside the conventional classroom. Whether your kids are in school or not in school, that it's ultimately a parent's responsibility to make sure their kids are getting the best education possible. With unschooling or more of these self-directed approaches to education, I think the key, for example, when you have little kids and young children is just to support their natural curiosity. I mean, they're so eager to learn. They're always asking questions. They're always asking why. They just absorb their environment. And so the key is really just to provide those resources and opportunities for learning and discovery. And then that natural zest for learning really just continue through later childhood and adolescence. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, loves. If you have not subscribed yet, please hit that cute little button, especially right now because we are in the middle of parenting month. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are really a great way to give back if you love the show. They help the show climb the charts, which helps me get even better guests. Today, I want to share a review from AllieB220, who says, this is the best podcast out there. I work from home and love listening to Melissa and her guests on Mind Love while I work. I love how each episode can give you a new perspective on life. It's just so inspiring. Definitely a must listen. Well, thank you so much, Allie. If you want a shout out on the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and they totally light up my day. Also, I'm adding some testimonials to my website. So if you do leave a five-star review or if you already have, please send me an email at melissaatmindlove.com with your review and a headshot or a photo of you and I can add you to my website. First of all, happy November, everyone. It's a really special month because I've decided that this is going to be parenting month. Now that I'm momming, as I call it, I have been diving into a ton of child development books and what I'm learning is fascinating. What I didn't expect was how much learning how to care for my baby and foster his growth was going to help me in my own personal healing and growth. One thing I've realized is that so many of the things I'm learning about raising him, like communication, how to teach him, how he learns, all of those things are also relevant to how I deal with my own inner child. The way I speak to myself is so similar to how I should speak to him, or connecting through emotions before logic, or letting curiosity lead. While I'm raising my own child, I'm also healing my own inner child. How cool is that? And speaking of letting curiosity lead, as with any new phase of life, I am completely engrossed in child development and how those skills can also be relevant to other areas of my life. So of course, my first thought in reading some of these books is, how can this information help other people? And can I get this author on mind love? 
Of course I can. So I have decided that November is all about parenting. It's parenting month. So if you know any new moms or experienced moms who just want to spice up their family lives, and by spice up, I mean find calm and peace and deeper connection, share this with them. Tell them to subscribe so they don't miss an episode. If you're not a parent, there is still so much to learn from these episodes. At the very least, they'll give you food for thought if you do have a baby. But some of the stuff I wish I knew before I had Brave. And if you're not planning on having children, like I said before, there is a wealth of information on how to take care of yourself. Because after all, healing your inner child is all about reparenting yourself. Healing in general is about reparenting yourself. And dealing with your real child or your inner child is pretty similar. One of the things that many parents got thrown into this last year was homeschooling. Whether they're doing it completely on their own or it's a hybrid of online and home work. I cannot imagine how overwhelming this was for most parents. It partially sounds terrible, but honestly, the more I think about it, the more it seems like it's probably the path I'm going to take. Spending the last nearly four years reflecting on my life, what I know, what I don't, what I need to relearn, it has all really highlighted for me that 99% of my schooling was a complete waste of time. We learn fake history. We learn math that most of us will never use after high school. We learn how to make dioramas. Why? We dissected a frog, which is not only gross, but bordering animal cruelty. And also, when have I ever needed to recall the periodic table of elements? So much of what we learn is just obsolete because of how accessible technology is today. I can quickly calculate any math problem on my phone, and I can ask Alexa anything else I need to know offhand. And then on the other hand, most of the things that have been pivotal for a successful life, I had to teach myself. Like critical thinking, which I am pretty sure is not taught in schools on purpose. How to manage money or how to grow wealth. Mental health. Coping skills. Negotiating. How to spot a scam how to communicate in social situations, cooking, finding balance. I could keep going. I wonder what my life would have been like if I had started adulthood at 18, already equipped with all this knowledge. And like I said, I honestly think we're not taught a lot of these things on purpose. My theory is if we know these things, we're harder to control. We're less likely to be stuck in a cubicle for 40 hours a week for 50 years. And we might notice injustices and actually try to change things. Or maybe I've got my tinfoil hat on, and maybe it's just incompetence of the school system. But either way, something's got to change. And one thing I've learned is no one is ever coming to save me. The only way to make change is to do it ourselves. When I've previously thought of homeschooling, what seemed so overwhelming was having to relearn all of these useless things so I could adequately teach my child. And if I'm being a teacher all day, how will I make time for anything else? But what I'm learning now is that homeschooling doesn't have to look anything like school looked like for us. It's actually better if it doesn't. I don't need to teach most of the things that I've realized are useless. Public school is a whole system. It takes, on average, 20 years to update curriculum. If I'm homeschooling, depending on state regulations, of course, I have a lot more freedom to teach my child what I think will best equip him for a successful life. And that's what I plan to do. 
If you have kids and you're like, okay, all great points, Melissa, but I have to work and I just don't have the luxury of not sending my kid to school. Totally understandable. And I still wouldn't skip this episode because number one, you never know if you'll get thrown into homeschooling again. And number two, there is a lot to be learned in structuring the time you do have with your child. And if you don't have kids, you might just find a lot of insights into your beliefs about yourself. School tends to craft a certain kind of child. And those who don't really fall into that mold often come out feeling stupid or slow. And often, those that suffer most are the ones who started out as the most creative or energetic or outside the box. But because of how standardized and test-driven schooling has become, it just dims their light. So today, we're going to be talking about some alternatives to education and how to foster skills that are actually helpful in the age that we're living in. Our guest today is Carrie McDonald. She is the author of Unschooled, Raising Curious, Well-Educated Children Outside the Conventional Classroom. And her most recent ebook is the 2021 Curious Parents Guide to Education Options. So three key things we will learn are how school suppresses a child's natural learning, myths about literacy and teaching children young, and better ways to help a child learn literacy, numeracy, and socialization. But before we get started, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, you just get a little inspiration to set your tone for the day and give you something positive to focus on. Think of it kind of like a short note from your higher self. It is also a great thing to share with your children. I had a subscriber share with me that she shares the morning mind love with her kids on the way to school every single day, which obviously made me so happy. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of self-reflective journaling prompts to help you grow. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. And now let's welcome Carrie McDonald to the show. It's great to be with you, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So what is unschooling and what led you to develop this idea? I define unschooling in my book, Unschooled, as disentangling education from schooling. And so thinking about schooling as one method to be educated, certainly the most dominant method in our culture today, but not the only one, and I argue not the best one for the realities of the 21st century innovation era. We have an industrial model of conventional schooling that dates back to the 19th century and hasn't really changed all that much in 165 or so years. And yet we have a society that's increasingly technologically enabled, much more global, much more interconnected, and an education system that really doesn't tap into sort of the human qualities essential for success in today's world that really distinguish humans from robots, from sort of human intelligence, from artificial intelligence. And so I talk a lot in the book about self-directed education and this idea of encouraging children and young people to pursue their passions and cultivate their interests from early childhood on instead of imposing kind of this top-down vision of learning. And it's much more about organic, self-driven, self-motivated education. So when you look at these two types of education versus schooling, what is the difference between the two in both 
generally and then also how maybe the general masses perspective of them are? I think when we think about schooling, it's something that is done to someone. It's more of this external force. It's top down. It's typically coerced. It really takes the free will out of learning. And unschooling would be the opposite of that. It would be re-injecting free will into education. It would be acknowledging, for example, that young children are natural learners. They have this incredible zest for learning, imaginative, and love to explore and discover their world. And one of the things that psychology professor Peter Gray from Boston College, who wrote the foreword to my unschooled book, says is those natural drives for learning don't sort of magically turn themselves off when a child turns five or six years old. We turn them off with our coercive system of schooling. And so the idea with unschooling is to allow that natural creativity, curiosity, and those natural drives for learning to continue unfettered throughout later childhood and adolescence and continue to provide support and encouragement and resources and tools for learners, but don't all of a sudden impose sort of this top-down external vision of education on learners. I had a baby last year, so I am now... (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. More intrigued about schooling in general. And I remember back when I was in school, I... First of all, kind of recognized (laughs) while it was happening how school was demotivating. I remember getting a few seeds of knowledge just about how similar our school structure is to the prison systems in some cases. Mm. I remember watching this kind of mini documentary on if you look at the schools within different areas, you'll kind of see how they cater to what the output is supposed to be. For example, in really wealthy communities, there's a lot of more freedom that goes into the day of a child versus if you go to a school in a low income area, a lot of times there'll be even barbed wire on the schools. There'll be security Mm. systems. They're very much bell oriented. And so I'm curious, what have you learned about schooling in terms of maybe how they're trying to craft an individual to sort of be another hog in the system, if that makes sense. Right. I don't know if you're referring to the War on Kids documentary by Kevin Soling. I talk about him in the documentary in my book, and he makes the case much like what you are saying about school as prison and uses these examples of kind of comparing minimum security prisons to conventional, typically urban high schools with metal detectors and backpack checks and kind of this elimination of privacy and autonomy. And back to Professor Peter Gray, he also makes this comparison between conventional coercive schooling today and prison and says, interestingly, if you look at two of the places that have the highest level of bullying, it's prisons and schools. And it's exactly that lack of free will, that lack of autonomy, the inability to exit, the freedom of exit is non-existent in both of those settings. And that leads to despair in all kinds of ways and often manifests through bullying. I think it's a really sad commentary on our education system that as we really need humans to be so much more 
inventive and imaginative and really use those incredible skills of human ingenuity and discovery to meet sort of the realities of the 21st century, we end up sticking kids for most of their childhood and adolescence into these kind of industrial schooling models where, like you say, you sort of become a cog in the wheel set up to sort of help students be factory workers in the 19th century as part of the Industrial Revolution. And it's just simply a mismatch to the realities of today when we don't need so many people working in factories. We need people being the ones to program the robots and to think of creative solutions to the big problems that we face. So what is it about schooling? We've kind of talked about how the structure itself might create a certain kind of child or create despair, despondency that leads to behaviors. But what is it about academic schooling that tends to suppress a child's natural learning or hinder their creativity? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. What is it about academic schooling that tends to suppress a child's natural learning or hinder their creativity? Yeah, I think it again is this idea that you are subject to someone else's vision of learning. You end up having to conform to the norms of school and sort of play the game of school. I talk a lot about this in the book that children learn very quickly in the early years of schooling that their own originality, creativity, and curiosity don't matter within the context of conventional schooling, that they end up having to really conform to the demands of the teacher and the classroom. And this has become even more apparent really over the past couple of decades, beginning with the passage of the No Child Left Behind Act at the turn of the millennium and the focus on core competencies, curriculum frameworks, common core and standardized testing. 
that actually sort of doubled down on making schooling much more rigid, much more standardized, much more test driven. So sort of the opposite direction that really we should be going in if we think about the 21st century innovation era. It's really been a step backwards. And I'll give you one example. When we think about some of the impacts of No Child Left Behind and its reauthorization over the past couple of decades, it's really pushed developmentally inappropriate core competencies to ever younger ages. And so, for example, Daphne Bassick is a professor at the University of Virginia. She found that in 1998, only about 30% of kindergarten teachers expected children to learn to read in kindergarten. And just 12 years later, by 2010, that number was 80%. And so, you know, just in the short period of time, there's this changing expectation around what five-year-olds need to be able to do in a classroom. And much of that really being triggered by this focus on core competencies and pushing down academic expectations to ever younger ages. And as a result of that, we end up seeing some real harm being done, particularly for younger children and particularly at the kindergarten level when now we're sort of expecting these little five-year-olds to learn to read. And there's a really fascinating study that some Harvard researchers did back in the fall of 2018 where they looked at various states that had a September 1st kindergarten cutoff age date. So if you turned five by September 1st, you could enroll in kindergarten. And what they found was that for children that were born in August, and so would be the youngest kids in their kindergarten cohort, they were 30% more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than children born in September who are about to turn six. And you're a mom, and you've already seen, I'm sure, just a tremendous growth that's occurred in the year that your child's been developing. And most parents would realize that. A year makes a very big difference in early childhood. And a newly minted five-year-old really just can't do the things that almost six-year-old can do, particularly when it relates to sitting down, staying still, being attentive, doing kind of desk work, listening to the teacher, following instructions. Much harder for a new five-year-old to do that as opposed to an almost six-year-old. And then so unfortunately, these kids are then being labeled as attention deficit hyperactivity with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, many cases then medicated for this. The researchers found that it was heavily leaning towards boys being the ones that were labeled with this. This was coming directly from teacher observations. And in reality, it was just a developmental mismatch. So that's just one example that I find really heartbreaking about the ways in which standardized schooling can really have a harmful impact on children. Yeah, I was recently reading some studies that kind of blew my mind. But on the other hand, it's like sometimes I'll read things that goes against everything I was taught, but then it just feels so right. <laughs> be like I'm like, oh, I know this is true. And two of them were, the first one is, I know that in the US, we place such a heavy emphasis and it's almost like we like get our rocks off when our kids develop faster than they should. <laughs> I've seen different friends with young kids that are like posting how their child is reading already at the age of three. And one of the studies I read was actually showing that in larger sample sizes, children that are pushed to read early Yes, they might read early, but when you test them a decade later or something along those lines, 
their literacy is actually lower than the literacy of children that might have learned at a more appropriate, age-appropriate time for that skill. The ways in which natural literacy develops, I go through a whole chapter on natural literacy uh, and developing reading skills in the book. It's really sort of a bell curve. So if you look at studies of, of kids who've learned kind of naturally outside of a conventional school environment, the typical age for reading proficiency is about eight and a half years old. And of course, now we're increasingly pushing that reading expectation down to five-year-olds, which is really just at the short end of where we would expect kind of this natural bell curve of reading to occur. And similarly, you'll have some kids that won't really read proficiently until they're maybe 10 or 11 even, which is just, again, really not acceptable within in the kind of standard schooling framework, but it has nothing to do with the child. The child's just learning on a different timetable. It's really this imposed structure on that child that you're right, could really impact their learning, their self-perception, their adult literacy skills. I have a story in the unschooled book of a parent of a grown unschooler who was a very, very late reader And she, the mom was really reticent to sort of label him as a late reader or have him tested for various reading deficiencies when he was young because she just felt like he was doing all of these other things. For example, he was an incredibly talented actor and was engaging in all kinds of live performances and was really thriving on that, really focused on that. And she saw all these other ways in which he was flourishing. And she just felt like, well, the reading will come in due time. And sure enough, it did. And he ended up being a very late reader, but also uh, very, very quickly became a very proficient reader. And as of the writing of the book, he was in med school. And she even said, she's like, if he had been labeled as somehow reading delayed or reading deficient or was learning within this kind of conventional environment with all of these external expectations... She said, I don't think he would have really had the audacity to go to medical school, that he would have internalized very early on that he was somehow not a good student or not a good learner. Instead, the opposite occurred. And so I think that gets to a piece of it, too, that you kind of talked about briefly prior is parents thinking about what their kids are doing and how they may be accelerating in certain areas. Well, I think the ways in which children develop, there are some things that kids are really thriving at at different stages. It's just that within the context of schooling, we have a very narrow focus on the things that we value and we really ignore some of these other wonderful gifts and talents kids could be developing at different times. I know somebody personally who is one of the smartest people I know, and he always tends to call back on an insecurity of his is around speaking. And it's because when he was a very young child, he had to like take speech class to learn how to say his R's and his L's, which is just so funny because when I hear him talk, he's so engaging. And so I'm always reminding my friend, like, I feel like you've just internalized this thing that maybe, (laughs) you know, isn't actually a big deal because you're a great speaker. And I I can see that a part of him knows it while a part of him just can't really let go of that because of the age that it happened in his development. And another interesting study that I was reading was something that snapped me into place as a new mom. There was a study that I read where two groups of children were basically given toys. And in one group, Mm the researchers showed them how to use the toy. And in the other group, they just gave them the toys and let them do whatever. Well, in the group where they showed them how to use the toys, the child immediately started playing with the toy in the correct way, but they played with the toy 
for a shorter length of time than the kids that were just following their natural curiosity with the toy. And I noticed as a mom, like with my six month old, there were a few times that I would be like, oh no, just do this. Like here, you spin this way. And I stopped doing that ever since and just instead give him the toys and have him learn how to use it. But I'm curious from your perspective, why is it that this would be the case? What is it about that natural curiosity that leads somebody to play for longer versus, hey, let me save you the time and show you how this works? So you may be referring to two research studies that I write about in the book, one from a group of researchers at MIT and one from a group of researchers at the University of California at Berkeley. And they did exactly this. They took these groups of four-year-olds and separated them into separate groups with a toy. And you're right, the groups that were sort of top-down taught played with the toy less often. But there was actually some other interesting features with that too, namely the groups that were kind of had this direct instruction and were told exactly what the toy could do, mimicked the teacher and did exactly as they were taught, but they didn't discover all of the other functionality associated with the toy that the non-taught group did discover on their own. And I think that that sort of speaks to kind of this larger point that when we're so focused on top-down instruction and meeting, checking off boxes and meeting these specific academic expectations, we sort of lose sight of originality and creativity and discovery that can kind of naturally happen in these peer groups. I think that's just a perfect example of what we're seeing in conventional education today. In the last year, most people (laughs) were kind of forced into homeschooling in one way or another. Mm. And I know for some people I've spoken to, they were worried that their child was going to fall behind. And other people kind of embraced the opportunity. I even know some people who have now switched totally to homeschooling. But I remember when I was Mm. in school... Three of my cousins were homeschooled. And I remember just the general consensus of like the response of people would be like, they're not going to be very well socialized. And now looking back, these are adult cousins of mine and they have no problems with socialization. So I'm curious what your finding has been with socialization and homeschooling. Is it a problem? Do you have to find other ways to socialize or do they even come out on top in that regard? Let me answer that in sort of two parts. The first is to talk a little bit about the trends we've seen with homeschooling over the past year. And the second is to answer more directly your question around socialization. Homeschooling has been growing by leaps and bounds really over the past couple of decades. The homeschool population has become increasingly reflective of the larger American population and demographically since the pandemic began in the spring of 2020 and schools shut down. So according to the most recent data out of the U.S. Census Bureau, they found a doubling of the independent homeschooling rate in 2020 alone to now more than 5 million students being homeschooled in the U.S., which is more than 11% of the overall school-age population. And one of the really fascinating data points that the U.S. Census Bureau revealed was that the biggest driver in homeschool numbers in 2020 was the number of Black homeschoolers 
homeschoolers that had a five-fold increase in homeschooling numbers from the spring of 2020 to the fall of 2020. And really, these numbers don't seem to be letting up. If you had asked me in June, I would have probably said be a little bit of a dip that some of these kids would go back to classrooms now that they're mostly opening for full-time in-person learning this fall. And that simply isn't the case that continued concerns about the virus, as well as school pandemic policies and various, depending on which side you're on as a parent on mask mandates and so on, it's really leading a lot of parents to pull their kids out of district school for continued homeschooling. So in 2020, the overall public school population declined by 3%. And I think we're going to continue to see that. In fact, some locations, including Texas and Virginia, are seeing even more interest in homeschooling this time this year than they did last year when, of course, we had these record increases. So I think we're going to continue to see the rate of independent homeschooling grow as more people discover that there are these alternatives to conventional schooling and that homeschooling isn't what they thought it was. This sort of gets to your your second point here about what is kind of contemporary homeschooling. It's really an umbrella term that captures all kinds of innovative educational approaches. For example, we saw the term pandemic pod appear in 2020 as parents realized they wanted their kids to have some social interaction and in these kind of small, safe learning environments. And so they got together with other families to create these pandemic learning pods. And of course, that's sort of a time, sort of a modern twist on the time-honored notion of homeschool co-ops that have been around since the dawn of the modern homeschooling era. So that is taking off and more and more families are realizing they have all kinds of resources available to them and they can collaborate really successfully with other families and hire teachers or rely on tutors and mentors to be able to make homeschooling work. You've also seen this explosion in education entrepreneurship over the past year and various startups and visionary entrepreneurs and educators creating these new learning models that really help families to be able to make this work. So it's not sort of this stereotypical vision of a parent, typically a mom, sitting around a kitchen table with textbooks teaching their kids. It's a much more community-based, immersive learning experience that's collaborative and that involves all kinds of teachers and facilitators and mentors and peers in one's community. And that gets, I think, to your larger point about socialization, that even before the pandemic hit, homeschoolers were incredibly connected and really engaged in their communities, really immersed in the people, places, and things around them in meaningful ways. In some ways, you could argue even more than kids that were in school because school Schooled kids go to the same building every day with the same sort of static handful of teachers and the same age-segregated group of peers doing the same standardized curriculum and homeschooling was much more immersive and involve kind of all facets of one's community and extracurricular activities and so on. And there's some research to back this up. Daniel Hamlin is a professor at the University of Oklahoma, and he looked at kind of the socialization aspect of homeschoolers or what he calls cultural capital, which is how sort of connected are students to their larger culture? How are they interacting with some of these people, places, and things around them? And what he found was 
homeschoolers are much more likely than their schooled peers to go to a library, a museum, cultural events, musical events, bookstores, zoos, and so on. Much more likely as a homeschooler to do those kinds of things than children who are in school. The stereotype of homeschoolers is sort of isolated and disconnected from peers and others in their larger community really is just a stereotype. I don't think it was ever true, but it's certainly not true in the 21st century. One of the things that I have been, I need to rephrase the sentence because I was going to say one of the things I've started to question, but I feel like every, when I start to question something new, it inevitably leads to an entire rabbit hole of other things I'm going to question. And when I was reading your book, Mm. you actually (laughs) summed up my thoughts so well. You're like, get ready to question everything. Mm. (laughs) And so I'm curious through homeschooling or through even questioning what our standard school is, what other things has that led you to start questioning that maybe we can redefine through the experience? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. What other things has that led you to start questioning that maybe we can redefine through the experience? One of the things with homeschooling or thinking about alternative education approaches, one of the things it does is help you to sort of see, well, what else is sort of this default approach or this default perspective that I've never really thought about before? Like, why do we do this certain thing? And I think for me, and I had always been a bit of a questioner and kind of always challenged assumptions. For example, my husband and I chose a non-traditional destination wedding in Hawaii back in 2001. We already were sort of challenging kind of what everyone did and having like a big wedding and so on. So there were those seeds for me already to sort of not just automatically follow the crowd and really think about why it is we do certain things. But yeah, with homeschooling and thinking about alternative education more generally, it really takes that to a whole new level and really helps me to think more generally, be much more of a critical thinker, much more of a questioner about kind of societal norms or thinking if there's something that everybody's doing, let's look at that a little bit more closely. Let's sort of think about is that the right approach or could there be some alternatives to that pathway? So when we are maybe considering the homeschooling approach, deciding on curriculum, deciding what we're going to teach, what does that look like for the average person? There are a lot of things that I look back on my schooling and I'm like, I did not need to learn that. (laughs) And so do you get to just take things out and redefine what is important as education for your child? Or how do you kind of fit with the standards, fit with the laws in your area while also creating something that you think is important? Or are you even allowed to do that? Such a good question. One of the key points that I make in the Unschooled book is to say that parents are the ones who are ultimately responsible for making sure that their children are highly educated, making sure that their children are highly literate, highly numerate, and have the skills for success in today's world. And I argue that that's true whether your kids are in school or not in school, that it's ultimately a parent's responsibility to make sure their kids are getting the best education possible. With unschooling or more of these self-directed approaches to education, I think the key, for example, when you have little kids and young children is just to support their natural curiosity. I mean, they're so eager to learn. They're always asking questions. They're always asking why. They just absorb their environment. And so the key there as a parent or if you're creating one of these kind of self-directed learning spaces that I talk a lot about in the book, the key is really just to provide those resources and opportunities for learning and discovery. And then that natural zest for learning really just continue through later childhood and adolescence. And I think one of the key points that I try to make in the book is that it's not that unschooled kids won't 
do formal learning, won't do sort of textbook-based classes or take tests or do what we would consider more traditional learning. It's just that they're choosing to do that. And I use the example in the book of my older daughter who discovered a real love for Korean language and culture. She discovered this through her passion for martial arts and was taking martial arts classes several times a week and then became more and more curious about Korean history and language and customs through that. And so she started doing some Korean language learning through Duolingo.com, which is a free online language learning software. And she wanted more. She wanted something that was a little bit more challenging. And so I was able to post to my local community group, community social network group, and ask if there were anybody in my city, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, who would be a Korean language tutor for her. And then we found a wonderful native South Korean tutor who she's been with now for several years, who she meets with several times a week and is really becoming fluent in Korean language. And that's just a perfect example of something that we would think of as very academic. She has a textbook that she uses. She has quizzes and tests and she has the things that we would consider as traditional learning methods. But the whole process is really self-driven and it's focused around her passions, her goals and her interests. And the other reason I really like that example, this Korean language example as well, is you'll often hear people say to homeschoolers, well, how do you think you could teach your kid calculus? Or how could you make sure they're learning all chemistry and doing these kinds of things? And the answer is you don't have to be the one teaching calculus and chemistry. You as the parent are facilitating that process and are using these vast community resources that are so much more abundant now with technology and virtual learning and online tutors and so on. As a parent, you're just connecting your child to this vast network of learning resources. So you don't have to be the one doing the teaching directly. You're really connecting them. I mean, I don't know Korean language and I wouldn't begin to be able to teach my child Korean language, but I can be that facilitator in connecting her to the people who can help her. And that leads me to the question, do we need to know calculus? Like when I was in school, Mm. calculus was an elective. You had to basically be in advanced math and pass to be able to go to calculus, which I did. And I did learn calculus. And I don't know anything about calculus now. I never once touched it again. Same with chemistry. It's like chemistry wasn't an interest of mine. And so, I mean, I guess you can consider baking chemistry, but I didn't need to learn any of that chemistry to understand what parts of chemistry I need to know now. And so when you are deriving that curriculum, are you allowed to just leave those things out? Calculus is one of those things that it can be optional in conventional schools as well. And it just comes down to what a child's specific goals are. For example, if they want to attend a competitive college or they want to focus on kind of a STEM field when they're in college, then they may decide to pursue kind of a traditional path with math that would end up being kind of culminating with calculus training in their senior year. There's uh, research that I cite in the unschooled book that I think is really interesting. It's a survey of grown unschoolers and found that most of these unschoolers, when they hit kind of their teenage years, 
would take community college classes. They would often enroll through dual enrollment procedures that are available through most community college networks where they would be a homeschooler for high school as well as enrolled in community college. And they would take college classes there and build up college credits. In many cases, transfer those college credits to a four-year university. Sometimes end up with an associate's degree when they're 18 while their same age peers are getting a high school diploma and then be able to matriculate into a four-year university as a sophomore or a junior, saving all kinds of money on higher education expenses, as well as having a really good sense of maybe what they're interested in and what they want to major in. That was, I think, a really interesting finding about grown unschoolers. Another tidbit that I really liked from that particular survey of grown unschoolers, they found that more than half of these adults were working as entrepreneurs in fields connected to interests that they began developing in childhood and adolescence. Again, that sort of freedom to pursue your own interests, develop your talents, discover your gifts, and then be able to build a career, a lifestyle around those passions and gifts. Right, because I did find value in getting introduced to a broad number of subjects so I could see which one I found most interesting. But I do feel as though I could have figured that out much earlier and in a way that wasted a lot less of my time. (laughs) And now that I have a baby, I'm learning about what the Montessori method means and so much Mm -hmm. about it's like follow the child. And that can be, that doesn't necessarily have to be just when a child is really young. It's gotten me to think about even my day-to-day, like, okay, in my business, what part really interests me? Which parts don't I like to do? And can I outsource those? And so, Mm. but it's funny because I never used to think this way until I became an entrepreneur. And in entrepreneurship, there's just so much that I've questioned about what is right, what the right way to be is. And I never really felt like I fit into that corporate daily life. I was just a rebel. Like I want to be late or just to like rebel against authority just because. (laughs) And so, I'm like, okay, maybe I have a different path that's more right for me. And instead of feeling like, oh, maybe I'm just not meant for success, when I started to follow my own passions and follow my own curiosity, I changed the way I viewed myself because I'm like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the structure. And so to have this option of really just questioning what we think is the right way to be in this world is really important. But as I'm coming up on this idea of probably homeschooling my child, there's other questions that come up. Like we've talked about how there's so many more resources because of technology. But then there's this other camp in my head that's like, oh, you don't want to have your child reliant on technology too much because then that makes them overstimulated and all of these other downsides. And so when you're homeschooling, how do you balance a healthy use of tech? For example, my husband and I are very tech oriented. And so we're probably going to introduce our child to coding and (laughs) building a website. And, And so where's the line of that being a downside in overstimulating them versus giving them a head start or helping them develop a skill that's obviously going to be so useful in their futures? 
let me first address kind of your initial point and then get to this idea of digital balance. The first point I think is really about, you know, this past year in particular, I think has been eye-opening for a lot of parents and a lot of us more generally. We've really been through a lot in terms of the pandemic response and really questioning how we're living our lives and some of the choices that we've made and maybe have made some shifts as a result of that. But one of the things that I think that the past year has really done is open up the idea of freedom and flexibility for not only a lot of us as individuals, but for our kids as well. So if we think about teleworking or remote working has become much more widely accepted. You see even large Fortune 500 companies suggesting that this kind of hybrid workspace or remote learning will be much more widely embraced going forward, even when the pandemic ends. And so I think a lot of individuals and I crave and demand and a lot more freedom and flexibility in my work life. And I want to grant that same freedom and flexibility to my children in their school life. So it's really, I think, challenge this idea with work that we have to be in the same building five days a week in those cubicles, kind of doing this traditional work. And the same then is true for school. You know, why would I require my kid to be in the same building five days a week in in this sort of conventional classroom. And so I think there's been a lot of opportunity to really challenge assumptions around education. And then, as I mentioned earlier, so much more education entrepreneurship sprouting, so many more resources and learning models for families that enable them to balance work and and homeschooling and family and also really find the best educational fit for their kids that might be outside of kind of a default district school assignment. So that's sort of the one piece. I think the idea with digital balance is something we all maybe have to find as individuals and each family will have different comfort levels around how much screen time is too much and kind of what is the technological embrace in that particular family and it will vary again based on family values and perspectives and all of that. I think that the fact that we can leverage technology in many ways to connect our kids to these incredible resources doesn't overshadow all of the kind of community-based resources that also exist for our kids through the homeschooling community and through our communities more generally. You know, think of sports and extracurricular activities and arts and culture and all kinds of enrichment experiences that exist in our local areas. Those are really important for our kids as well. And, And we're able to, I think, make the time perhaps even more doable for homeschoolers because we have some more of that freedom and flexibility to really become more immersed in our communities and build relationships with people around us. I don't think that we need to be heavily reliant on technology as homeschoolers. We can take the best of the abundance that's now around us digitally but also really look to these incredible real-world resources, analog resources, if you will, that are around us and that can enrich our learning. And then, like I mentioned previously, too, you have community college classes, for example, for more high school or teenage homeschoolers that, again, would be in-person learning experiences, but driven by the learner, him or herself. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've brought to this conversation. It is so timely for me. I mean, I guess I picked up the book in time for me. (laughs) But but there's, I think, also just the changes that are happening in our world. It's a timely conversation, a timely topic. And so for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, Unschooled, which I found to be a great resource for all this, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? 
The best place is to visit me. I'm a senior education fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. So you can visit my website at fee.org, F-E-E.org slash Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y. There you'll see a link to my book. You'll see all my recent articles. You'll see links to all my social media accounts. You can go ahead and send me an email. So fee.org slash Kerry. All of the links to this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 206. Your challenge for this week is to list five unconventional ways that you can teach your child something. Maybe it's going on a hike and exploring the plants that you see. Maybe it's taking them to a museum. Maybe it's inviting your child into the kitchen while you cook. Or depending on their age, maybe it's watching an educational documentary together. You can also sign them up for another program that's going on led by somebody else, so it doesn't always have to be you teaching them. There are so many ways to add this idea of homeschooling in, even if your child does go to a conventional school. I am actually pretty excited because in the last year and a half, I've just had this looming realization that, yep, I'm gonna homeschool bravery. (laughs) I am not sending him to public school. But on the other side of that, I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to have time for that? How am I going to have to structure my home? How am I going to have to structure my days? And what I'm realizing is that this structure that I imagine in my head is just created through the conventional school system. And the structure I have at home doesn't have to look anything like that. It can look a lot more like just integrating my child into more of the family activities or more of the responsibilities around the home. I also plan to teach my child entrepreneurship, how to build a business online, how to be free of the conventional corporate structure. My husband is really excited about teaching him how to snowboard and ride BMX. I am equally excited to teach him yoga. And so there's so many things to be learned just by incorporating your kid into your own daily activities. And I would love to hear some examples of what you guys are doing, maybe new ideas that have come up through this episode, or if you're already homeschooling, share things with me because like I said, I am down this path. (laughs) This looks like it's going to be my future and I need all the learnings I can get. So I am definitely open to hearing what you're doing at home that's working for you. And share that with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you found this episode helpful, please take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Podcast and share it on Instagram or just share it with a friend. Like I said, this whole month is going to be around parenting and how to be a calm parent, how to raise a self-disciplined child. There's so much good stuff that's coming this month, and I think it's a lot of stuff that most parents will find helpful. If you want all the backlogs of premium episodes, please subscribe to Mind Love Premium. You can do that at mindlove.com slash premium, or you can now do it right there in the Apple Podcast app. I do prefer doing it through my website (laughs) because Apple loves to take like 30% of your income, but I am just grateful for whoever subscribes anywhere, however it's easiest for you. Other ways to support the show are by supporting one of my amazing sponsors. I absolutely love them all. It's a win-win. You get something and they keep sponsoring me. And the final way to support the show is just by sharing or to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift 
to keep your vibes up until next week. 